The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's uh, eight, six minutes after eight and time for the Forum at eight. Now, this morning, we are looking at uh, the Greek situation and we ask what lessons can South Africa draw from the Greek situation? Now, as the Greek people lick their wounds after a rough week and what looks like an even rougher few weeks ahead, some component commentators and news reports have not been able to resist the need to make comparisons between South Africa and Greece. So we've decided to take a look into this to determine if... If there's any similarities and what lessons South Africa can indeed draw from the Greek situation. But before we speak to our guest this morning, let's take a listen to this report that was filed by our econ reporter, Dimakato Leshor. Greece's troubles have tempted many analysts to draw similarities between that country and South Africa. But it seems obvious that the two countries are nowhere near each other, or are they? South Africa is certainly not facing a fiscal cliff, and its fiscal deficit is less than 4% of GDP, while debt-to-GDP is edging closer to 50%. At the same time, Greece's debt-to-GDP is in the region of 180%, and its fiscal deficit is 12.5% of GDP. Despite this, chief strategist at investment Solutions, Chris Hart, says South Africa should not swell its chest just yet. South Africa could be 46 years away from an IMF bailout situation. Chief economist at Econometrics, Dr. Azar Jamin, agrees that there are some similarities between South Africa and Greece. To the extent that South Africa also suffers from the problem of having a bloated public service and spending a huge proportion of the budget on the public service rather than on infrastructural investment there is a similarity with Greece. Peter Atad Montalto of Numura International says while there's a risk of a fiscal cliff for South Africa, it is a bit further away. He says South Africa's debt levels are moderately low and there hasn't been a budget blowout. But in the future, you can imagine, for instance, the contingent liabilities such as around ESCOM being called on, the guarantees being called on, this basically requiring increasing the risks around a, a fiscal cliff, growth not recovering, etc., downgrade, the sudden stop in portfolio investment by foreign investors. You can construct this kind of scenario, but I think it's really only after 2017 and the electoral conference thereafter. Greece was a country that lived beyond its means, overspending on day-to-day needs as opposed to long-term assets, much like ordinary South Africans who live on debt and borrow to buy groceries, petrol and things like that, things that don't increase their personal financial security in the long term. Unfortunately, analysts say the South African government is guilty of the same practice, With debt-to-GDP of around 48%, you would think that the government was investing in infrastructure for the future. But no, experts say 56% of government's total expenditure goes to the paying of salaries for the so-called bloated public service, and another huge chunk goes to, well paying for social grants. Efficient Group's economist Francois Stoffbeck says government is destroying capital by borrowing capital long-term but spending it on current short-term items such as salaries and social grants. The reason why that is quite unsustainable is because if you destroy capital by not using that capital to generate future income and uh, that's what saving and investment does. It, It doesn't just create jobs now. It doesn't just create economic output now. It continues to add value to a country. So if you don't have high enough savings that drive high enough investments, you do not have good future prospect growth in South Africa. A view shared by Chris Hart. Our public sector wage bill is higher than even Greece's as a percentage of government spend and of GDP as well. And, and it's one of the reforms that the Europeans are insisting that Greece cut back. 
If South Africa faces a IMF crisis, we will also have to cut back on civil servants and salaries, wages and grants, that kind of thing. So the welfare structure is something that needs to be sustainable, but at the moment it's not sustainable because we're borrowing money to fill these welfare gaps. Stovbeck says government's policy stance is very different from, say, the Chinese, who have now become the second largest economy in the world. Asked why is it that authorities in South Africa were choosing to create what many have called a nanny state instead of teaching people how to fish, Stovbeck had this to say. The Chinese, where we give a guy a fish, they teach their people how to fish. And that's that's the major difference. And, and, And the good reason why that happens is because bridges don't win votes. Another reason why Greece has found itself where it is is corruption, widespread bribery, lack of punishment for corruption and public institutions that don't respond to citizens' needs have been the order of the day in Greece for many years. Although not quite at the same scales, but this does resonate. In the recent Corruption Perceptions Index, which measures the extent of corruption in the different countries, South Africa came in at number 67, while Greece was a close 69. Peter Atat Montalto says he's concerned about the widespread debt levels in state-owned enterprises like ESCOM. Where there is massive inefficiencies which are driving up the level of borrowing. I mean, quite simply, you know, the amount of um, debt that ESCOM is having to issue for Madupi and Casile is three times what it should be because of the overruns and because of the inefficiencies around the the build program. Less than half of Greeks are out of work and nearly 50% of those under 25 are unemployed. The situation is not much better in South Africa with nearly 37% of young people out of work. Given the desperate jobless rate and a private sector that is sitting on money and not investing, shouldn't government create jobs then? Stovbeck says no. Government is supposed to govern. That's, that's, that's the central idea and that internationally 9 out of 10 people are employed in the private sector. Only one out of ten people is employed by the government. Business should be driving employment, and business in South Africa aren't getting the opportunity to do that. Chris Hart says business is not investing in South Africa because the economic environment is not conducive. He says South Africa needs to change its trajectory. Like Greece, it's not particularly economically free. Lots of bureaucracy, red tape, etc. There are better places in Europe to do business. And that's one of the reasons why Greece is struggling. Ireland got it right because they made themselves one of the best places in Europe to do business. So although they also went through a crisis, they're coming out of the crisis because they've kept to a simple tax position and low tax rates. And that, that has actually left business investment into Ireland continuing. We need to learn the same lesson. In Johannesburg, I'm Dimakatsu Lishoro. And as always, the lines are open, so we want to hear your views. 0891-104-208 is the call-in number. SMS us on 34701, or you can tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. And uh, time now to say good morning to our guest this morning, uh, Chris Hart, uh, Chief Strategist at Investment Solutions. Thanks for your time this morning, Chris. No, good morning. Thank you very much. Now, firstly, I mean... Should we as South Africa really be uh, concerned about what is happening in Greece, especially from the perspective that we could follow suit? Yeah, I, I, I think the direct impact is not something that we need to be concerned about. And we really mustn't worry about too much contagion because I think it will be contained within Greece. But when we look at the parallels, there are parallels. 
um, with only one key difference that's, that differentiates South Africa enormously, and that is South Africa's pension fund is largely, in other words, the government pensions for its civil servants is largely covered with the government employees pension fund. We're one of the few countries in the world that has a largely fully funded uh, pension fund. Most countries, including Greece, pay their pensions out of current income, and that's one of the huge strengths of South Africa is that we do have that provision. But if we look at our situation, especially uh, South Africa's government debt-to-GDP ratio, Chris, where's that standing at the moment? Uh, it's, it's just short of 50% at the moment, whereas Greece is about 180 uh, or, or so it depends on, you, you know, at what stage you, you measure their debt and their GDP, which is the GDP is contracting and their, their debt is expanding. And so that situation is deteriorating quite quickly. Um, but uh, South Africa is much better, but we're financing our debt at 7 8%, whereas the Greeks have been able to finance their debt at much lower levels. And it's one of the reasons that their debt has expanded over the over this last several years. Now, if we look at a situation whereby um, uh, that ratio was at 36.31% around uh, the year 2000, should we not be concerned at 50%? Uh, because, you know, uh, it obviously will affect government's ability to make uh, future no. payments on debt. No, I, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, re- remember when South Africa in 1994 was... You know, we, the old apartheid government said, sorry about apartheid, you've got to run the government. And Oh, oh yes, I'm sorry about the economy. Uh, our our debt-to-GDP level was pretty much at a similar level. That's what puts huge strain on the budget at the time. But remember, our, um, they, they were financing themselves at 14 or 15% at that stage. So the fact that our debts have climbed back to the levels that it was in 1994 is hidden by the fact that we're financing it at lower rates at the moment. And of course, if we look at our current situation, Chris, um, you know, and and capital spending is one that comes up time and time again. And if we look at, you know, what we need to actually spur growth in this economy, um, what do you make of the current factors that are factored in here? Well, I I think firstly, we're making the mistake of investing uh, our, our huge focus is on infrastructure and basically we need to create jobs. Now infrastructure is, is enormously useful. I'm not saying that one, one shouldn't have infrastructure. Um, you can see that the, the problems that countries that don't have interest, infrastructure um, but uh, it's investment in businesses that actually make create jobs. That's what actually has to happen. And a lot of our in investment is in fact what are called dead capital. There's no return on that capital. So we take an example of World Cup stadiums. You invest in that, uh, you create jobs to build the stadiums, and then afterwards there's no return. So where do you get the, the money for the next set of projects? There isn't, because it's dead capital. Uh, Madrid is another example. It's a, it's a 35 or 40 billion even 50 billion rand stadium, money well spent, but not 140 or 150 billion. That's 90 billion more than it should be uh, costing. And um, that's dead capital. It was money drawn from other parts of the economy to pay for it. Um, and you don't get a bigger and better power station. It's still a 40, you know, 40 billion uh, power station or thereabouts. And... Um, 
something else didn't happen in the economy because of that overspend. And we're getting too much of that kind of examples uh, coming through. Mm. But 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 also, Chris, you know, um, business is not investing as you yourself were quoted in our earlier package. And, and, and part of the reason for that is because of that infrastructure backlog, you know, infrastructure that's not functioning no. optimally as well, isn't it? No, um, it's, uh, I don't believe so. And when, when we say let's qualify the businesses not investing, businesses still carrying the lion's share of all investment taking place. We're investing at a rate of 19% of GDP, all right, and business actually carries about two-thirds of that, roughly about 62% uh, of that investment. But obviously we know that business could do more, and they're not investing enough, uh, and part of it is not because of of infrastructure, it's because of, of, of economic conditions. It's the escalation of, of um, of, of red tape. I know in our own business, you're trying to control costs at, at overall level, and then compliance costs are actually running way ahead of any other costs. So that means less money is available to actually grow the business in other in, in, in other spaces. And these, this is happening across the economy. The, the, the regulatory tsunami is basically saying there's better places. In, in Africa, there's better places and other emerging markets or even developed markets to actually deploy that capital. Uh, and that's creating a reticence to actually, you know, go, you know, to to, to full investment. We need we we need policy certainty, and we need uh, to to start seeing policies that are actually friendly uh, towards um, economic mm-hmm. activity rather than uh, than than unfriendly. So would you are you then saying that that at the moment is more important than ESCOM, um, for example, in supplying yes. energy needs yes. to the business sector? Very, very, very much so. ESCOM, I believe, is important, but it's a it's more a sideshow. It's, it's a temporary condition. If you now produce all the electricity that you needed, how, for instance, if you're in the hotel business, to say, okay, well, let's let's deploy our extra capital into building more hotels when you've got regular when you've got um, the the Department of Home Affairs working against your your sector, for example. Um, you know that kind of thing. Uh, it needs to be fixed, all right. And if you fix things like home affairs, the hotels will be. Um, you, you'll, you'll get more investment into hotels and other tourist facilities. Um, and that's just one example. But um, the, the, you know, there's many examples which where the dots aren't connected. Um, and it's, part, it's not because government is being odious or anything like that. I, I just don't think they've prioritised policy. And if you prioritise policy. Uh, where employment generation is the most important um, uh, priority. There's a lot of things that just simply wouldn't have been allowed in that um, uh, in, in that type of construction. Um, but I think the the most obvious, most recent own goal that we've scored is is the um, the, the uh, tourist. But even in the last budget, taxes were raised. For, for instance, it's anti-growth. Um, if you want economic growth, you've got to actually consider lowering taxes, simplifying them, all of these things. And basically, the government's not, um, you know, that's not not on the thought process. I mean, the Secretary General of the ANC has already said in things like Eskin, um, you know, privatisation is, is 
not an ideological route that's even on the table at the moment. And yet, it's quite obviously that that's sort of at least some route that they need to consider to help getting us out of the electricity constraints. On the forum date this morning, our question is, can South Africa draw from the Greek situation? What lessons can be learned from that, if any at all? And our guest this morning, uh, Chris Hart, uh, who is Chief Strategist at Investment Solutions. 891 that's the call-in number. SMS us on 34701. Tweet or Facebook, AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Let's go to Newlands. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Kusigina, uh, and uh, good morning to your guests. Beautiful day down in here in Cape Town. Uh, yeah, what a fascinating debate, and I, and I have to say, uh, I suppose all we can really discuss is how we best going to avoid the Greek situation applying to us, but it seems to me that we seem to be mirroring it in almost every way. We've got a bloated public service, which there's no dispute about. We've got massive corruption, which the Greeks have. In fact, we had a, we've, our corruption is on a far bigger scale involving our president downwards. Uh, they don't have that kind of a problem. And then our unemployment, uh, you know, the, the, I think the problem is that our government makes, and so did the Greek government, make politically favorable decisions, and they fail to grasp the nettle at the time. If you look at our government, it doesn't understand economics. It, it makes a boast of the fact that it's got 16 or 17 million people drawing unemployment. Now, this is, <laughs> this is not a success story. The ANC boasts and says this is a success story. This is a failure because they're not growing the economy. Uh, there's, no, there's less people working, therefore less money coming, and the ANC can't seem to grasp that. And the other thing they've failed to do is to micromanage our money. They give money away to the New Age newspaper, 54 million. We're never going to see that again. And I, I watched with fascination, Sakino, yesterday uh, on, the, uh, on the parliamentary channel in the uh, committee debate on finance on prisons where 154 million rand was spent with one company where they sent a person around to the prisons to assess how many light bulbs in prisons need to be painted and light bulb needs to be changed. And now the final point I want to make is there's no consequences, absolutely no consequences. That prison official, in fact the commissioner of prisons, sat there and said absolutely nothing. She will continue in her job. No consequences for that action. The money, 154 million, will not be recovered. It's lost to the country. And, and in conclusion, all I can say is that and I don't know where we're going to go because the commissioner quite rightly can turn around or one of your callers will call in and say, but Mike from Newlands, why must the lady spend $154 million on that uh, strange exercise to change light bulbs when the president doesn't even apologize for spending $34 million over budget in parliament? That was written off in the blink of an eye. So I do think we're in big, big trouble in our country, and I disagree. I think it's not six, six years away. I think it's probably no, no, about two years away before uh, we experience the very same problem. All right. Thank you so much, Mike, in Newlands. Now, uh, the, the, this issue of unemployment, uh, Chris, is obviously a huge one. Um, I want to read uh, what some of our uh, listeners are saying here on our um, other social media platforms. Togazani Mkize says, uh, what we've learned from the Greek situation is that the citizens are more important than the investors or the creditors. We should let the people vote. And Kulu SD says, lax tax collection uh, regime is what brought down Greece amongst other things. This is what South Africa must try to avert at all costs. And Nkosingi Pile Mkunu says, uh, government should encourage people to save. Um, government should invest more on infrastructure. The problem for South Africa is corruption and government trying to buy votes through social grants. Uh, our social grant bill is too high. So those are some of the comments coming through at this point, Chris. Yeah, well, I'll start with a social grant. If you're receiving a social grant, I don't think exactly it's the most lavish thing, uh, you know, that can, can happen to you. It's actually extremely low uh, in terms of the actual amount, but the point is that we can't really do more.
um, and, and, and the need is very high. And that's what we need to, 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 to say, that we're actually meeting, trying to meet need um, instead of creating opportunity. And, uh, and I agree certainly um, that, that people need to come before creditors and, and debtors and, and investors and that, that type of thing. But remember, people are also investors. All right, and um, no economic activity comes into existence without investment. And, and, and so we can say that's a very nice thing to say, but we, we actually need investors. We need uh, uh, access to credit uh, if you want to actually fully functioning modern economy. Um, and uh, so, so it's all very well to, to say that, but it's actually very needed. We need to also distinguish... Um, and it's something I'm starting to distinguish between what I call top-level systematic um, uh, corruption versus transactional corruption. And and Europe, you'll find the transactional corruption very low. You'll be able to account for every single cent because the institutions are strong and that type of thing. But the actual systematic corruption is that the politicians are promising way more than what their tax base can actually deliver. That is a problem, that is a huge problem that they actually face. Um, and, um, but, but, but they won't deal with it because to deal with it, they make themselves unelectable. All right, and so it's easier to kick the can down the road, borrow the money to, to meet pension and, and uh, civil service salaries and other welfare promises. And then we say, is corruption the problem? Corruption is a problem, but I don't know if it's the problem. I think the problem is, in fact, our low savings rate. Uh, because without the savings, you know, it's, it's a, what I call the starting point. We have a massive, massive unemployment problem. That is our national score. That is our national emergency. All right. And, and yes, corruption aggravates it. But without savings, you do not have the resources to buy the extra economic activity that you need to actually uh, get, get your unemployment down. And that is a critical thing. At the core of our unemployment problem is a lack of savings, and that's where policy is exceptionally damaging because um, our country makes savings unviable. Um, through policies, uh, through the interest rate policies that favor the borrower over the saver, uh, and that's one of the reasons why South Africans tend to borrow, not because we don't have a culture of saving that. I think we've got a deep uh, culture of savings in South Africa uh, and very strong culture of savings. But, in fact, policy has damaged that over the last few decades. With, um, as I say, interest rates are too low uh, for the saver, and then um, mm-hmm. your, your taxes target savings and capital formation, and that, those taxes are exceptionally damaging. Uh, capital gains tax, for instance, and, and um, tax on, on transfer of property, uh, death duties, uh, these are the te- taxes that we need to actually be eliminating in South Africa. And um, just looking at uh, the uh, social media platforms, uh, once again, some of your messages, Kaili Kumalo says, South African can draw substantial lessons from Greece, curb corruption, trim widening budget deficit, and deal with bailouts to SOEs. Uh, Mati says, from Greece, we can also learn that the IMF-inspired austerity doesn't work. Uh, Kati says, uh, this Greek has taught us 
it's taught us all something about uh, the people shall govern. It's an affirmation for democracy and the people's will. Tulali A. Nzima says, uh, taking from the refusal to pay ETOLs, the refusal to repay NAFSAs, burning of infrastructure, etc., we can head the Greece way. And Fanyana Dimofukeng says, South Africa has over 30% unemployment. Greece has 50%. And economists say that we are six years away. I am not convinced. What are your thoughts? 0891104208. Bukhotsi and Calvin, good morning. Uh, hi, Sakina. Hi, Bukhotsi. Yeah. Um, Sakina, I, I, I'm, I'm quite worried about uh, how uh, money gets dissipated in some way and uh, some of the ambitious programs that uh, the country wants to embark on. If this is not really going to put us into trouble, for instance, look at how the state enterprises are dissipating money. I mean, ESCOM, SAA, the works. And then we want to embark on NHI. We want to embark on a a one trillion rand nuclear uh, station. We want to, uh, uh, to 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 entertain the Olympics. We have a bloated uh, civil servant that we give an increase that is above the CPI. Where is all that money going to? Uh, where are we going to get all that money? And is it really sustainable? Is it not going to put us in trouble in the long end? I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, all those projects acquire billions of friends and already the ESCOM alone has put us back 300 billion rand in a, 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 the, cost the economy 300 billion rand by not being able to generate enough power. So with all these other projects that we are looking at, can the country really afford it? Okay, let's ask Chris Hart. Well, I think I think your caller hits the jackpot. Is that uh, it's all very well to spend money, uh, but how do you earn it? All right, and and we're not focusing on the earning side of that of the spending, uh, which is quite quite important. And it sort of brings me back to one of the um, social media uh, uh, comments that you mentioned: is that IMF bailout. Uh, or austerity does not um, uh, doesn't, doesn't work. work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I always find that amusing because you say, why do you need money from the IMF in the first place? As, as, <clears throat> that if you don't, if you're managing your affairs properly in a country, you'll never need the IMF money. All right. And so, if you're managing your affairs properly, then, then that argument doesn't work. But the IMF does a very nasty thing, which is which is why they're so unpopular, especially for politicians, etc. They'll say we're happy to lend you money, but it's on condition you've stopped doing the things that got you into trouble in the first place, and that's where the austerity comes. Because then what happens is that the IMF tells you you must fire civil servants, and you've got to cut back your subsidies and your grants, etc. Because all of that is unsustainable, and that's what is what the politicians are using to buy votes. So your politicians will go parrot on over and over. The austerity doesn't work. And, of course, uh, uh, it's as if austerity is a policy choice. Uh, and, and, and I make the point austerity is never, ever a policy choice. Politicians would much rather kick the can down the road than actually deal with 
the real issues. But when you do are faced with the austerity, it's a consequence of policy, not a choice of policy. And Greece is facing the consequences of past policies that are already baked in the cake. Um, and basically the, the, the referendum was about do we choose the Europeans' austerity, which is basically austerity-like because they're still lending their money mm-hmm. to pay pensions and, and civil servant salaries, or do we say, you know, take your money and shove it, which is what the Greeks are saying, but then that means they actually go into a much bigger austerity because then they really don't have the money to pay uh, uh civil servant salaries and pensions, but then in a sense, I think it's better because then they actually have to deal with the real issues. But by doing so, the politicians were telling them reject austerity and what they actually, what what actually happened yesterday, and this is what the reality will unfold over the next uh, several months without any bailout, is that their biggest austerity is still going to come, but it's probably the austerity that will set Greece um, onto a recovery path because you have to deal with the things that are unsustainable. You can't spend money on things that are not going to generate, generate economic growth and um, and favour political uh, projects. But the current government probably needs to change. They brought them to the no vote. They will probably have to change because they don't have the right mindset to actually take Greece into competitive and uh, economically sustainable future. Mm, but wasn't uh, that, that that no vote uh, basically, you know, a vote of confidence in uh, Tsipras's government? Uh, well, let's see if that conf- confidence remains when the real austerity actually hits, when the pensions aren't paid and the, ba- the banking system fails and that kind of thing. Um, and, they, you know, you get haircuts taken off uh, deposits and, and that type of thing. Um, I, I, I suspect that what's going to happen mm. is that, the, um, th- that, that you will find that um, you will get some social unrest and a new election will have to happen at some stage because, I mean, the, the government is, uh, is run with the coalition and, and the, the strange bedfellows are in that co- coalition and I think um, you'll find that they'll fall apart and new elections will have to take place. And that's when the real test of their popular support will come through. So it's all very well for you to, to come to this this particular point, but then the, the solutions to get out of it, they just don't have any ideas. Well, what are your views? 0891104208. Let's speak to Marsha in Cape Town. Morning, Marsha. Um, good morning. Um, look, uh, this isn't a new situation in Greece. This has happened a couple of times um, and not too too far in, in, in the distance. So, you know, eventually they, I suppose they'll call their way out of this. But how this reflects on South Africa, uh, I just don't think you can uh, make a comparison here. I mean, look, South Africa was given it all. They took over in 94 and they had it all. They had roads, they had bridges, they had hospitals, they had nursing homes, they had TV, they had everything. And um, I I just think um, their lack of knowledge of how to rule is possibly what's brought us to the situation that we're in now. And you know, there are only 50 million people in this country. I mean, when you look at, uh, let me think, Nigeria, 170 million people. They don't have roads, but they're one of the richest countries in Africa. There you have another example. So I rest my case.
Have a well, good day. Uh, thank you, Marsha, in <laughs> Cape Town. Um, uh, Chris, is that true? Did South Africa had it all at the turn of democracy? Marsha is right and wrong in the sense that uh, there's been a lot of maladministration and that where we could be now, uh, or where we could have and should have been now, is a lot further than where we are now. But but where Marsha is not correct is that infrastructure and all that, we had it all, but not for all the population. And that that's something that uh, has been the big challenge of the, the new government, is how to actually roll out infrastructure, etc., for everybody in this country. And that's, that's, that's been quite a challenge. But, of course, I think um, you, and, and the achievements have been quite significant. Uh, but without those achievements, um, we are... Um, or, or without the corruption, the maladministration, and that we would have actually done a much, much better. Um, South Africa has deep economic potential, and a lot of that deep economic potential has, in fact, been frittered away through, uh, firstly, um, a regulatory tsunami. That's one of the things. The regulatory tsunami helps spawn corruption um, and um Lack of savings uh, and policies that uh, that damage savings, but a lot of those policies started mm. already under the nationalists to damage the savings, and that the savings were already falling then, and uh, has continued to fall, uh, you know, since 1994. But also, and that's, this, that's uh, on this issue of yeah. savings, uh, Chris, because you know uh, people will tell you that they don't have anything to save because they are, you know, uh, so heavily indebted. So, what are they supposed to save? Well, you know, that's a general throwaway comment. I think it's a case of uh, obviously there's an issue of discipline, but. I, uh, in terms of how one spends, a lot of people do, uh, you know, they, they don't look after their finances, but there's no incentive to, because in fact, when you look at the economic conditions, the economic conditions are such that you, you um, it, it's to your advantage to borrow money now and spend it now, because if you save money, you lose utility on the, on the money, and that's a starting off point, and if you Take a look at individuals, although you know they're not economists or anything like that, they're behaving in their best interest, and their best interest is to borrow now, and um, rather than to save, because that's how policy has actually made it, and we've got to start mm. with that. But it's not just about policy, is it, Chris? Because uh, if you take, uh, for example, people who work in the agricultural sector, and we've seen, you know, the strike action that has emerged from that. We know about uh, domestic workers and many people. We talk about a minimum wage constantly. Is that minimum wage even a livable wage? Because that is what we are focusing on right now. No, but remember, you know, I'd say... What is Stockfeld, other than a culture of poor people saving, all right, um, is, is that people do. Okay? In fact, the savings at the lower end of, of, of our, our earnings is um, very often higher than, the, 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 I'm talking about the rate, is higher than what the rate is at the upper end. Um, and, and that you can also look in, that's in the actual studies, um, rather than the, um, how to say that, you know the the, the argument, um, so, and the argument doesn't always live up to the the, the the reality. But I think we we need to appreciate that we do need to have higher savings, and we need to have start. Let's put it this way: I I would 
I would very happily countenance the arguments um, about uh, you know people managing money better, etc. Remember, micro lending is also something that's proliferated, uh, you know, more recently, and that's you know what policy has been allowing um, and loan sharking, etc. That's also uh, you know been a relatively new phenomenon on our uh, landscape, um, and, and that, that, that hasn't helped. So, yes, the farm workers, etc. but we need to appreciate that out of all, the, the most abused worker in South Africa is not the farm worker or the mine worker or the um, domestic, etc. It's actually the small business owner, and that's where jobs get created, and that's where um, the worst... Um, Worst labour conditions apply because you're a small business, you'll work for seven days a week, 18 hours a day, try and make payroll and not actually earn a salary you know, while you're trying to keep a struggling business going. And then we've still got bureaucrats who demand this from you and that from you and, and incur these expenses, etc. We, we, we need to actually look at that because the engine of growth is in fact a small business sector. Okay, uh, we're going to take a few calls now. Chris, if you could just uh, perhaps uh, take note, I will too. Uh, Joe is calling from Durban. Good morning. Good morning and good morning to your listeners. Yeah, you, you know, you know, my point is um, about having a, the biggest population being supported by a small population that is working and paying taxes. I think we need to improve on that where people are encouraged to start working and um even avoid strikes because the more strikes we have, the year we're working around 100 and something days out of 366 days because of strikes, because of sick notes, because that's on average. And uh, all these things, I think, that affect the economy in a big way. And um, considering also the ESCOM story, the monopoly of most ESCOM should be discouraged where people who have the capacity to supply electricity should do so so that our businesses can thrive. Everyone who is willing to work can work. And we must say that the, the, the uh, grant should take care of those people who cannot take of, care of themselves. And, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 this thing of having one person in a family of seven working as a, maybe a, a, a housemaid and supporting seven people, you know, that's a big number of people to support. Every able person should go to work and contribute in the family uh, um, uh, wages. So that they can support uh, themselves, yes. Thanks so much, Joe. In Durban, uh, Timbers in Port Elizabeth, good morning. Uh, Good morning, good morning, my dear. Look, Masha is wrong, and Chris Hart should correct this if he understands it. South Africa inherited in 1994 an empty shell state. We inherited a state that has huge uh, uh, deficit. We inherited a state that did not invest in infrastructure. We inherited a state that did not recapitalize on our, a number of our SOEs. That's the challenge we're sitting with in South Africa. That's number one. Two, Chris should tell us how do we, you know, re, re, take away the element of whiteness when it comes to money, de-racialize financial markets. How do we do that? Because for as long as black South Africans, I'm going to be crude here, for as long as the majority of South Africans feels excluded and does not feel, but it's really excluded from the financial market and the ownership of capital in the country, the state will always have a role to play because we are a majority. The last one for me, Sakina, is to say, 
if you think you're going to take away the grants, if you think you're going to take away the policy mindset of government today, you will be inviting more trouble because the majority of the country will not feel ownership of the state or of the country. I understand and I agree there are fundamentals that the country has to implement in building confidence in the economy, but also those fundamentals should work for the greater majority of the country. We now inherited a population that is not educated, that is not skilled enough. This is apartheid, but still the white majority is a runaway trade when it comes to private companies. They are not paying well, they are not paying equally, they are not employing our black kids and black people. Thank you so much, uh, Temba and Port Elizabeth. And now to Cape Town for the next two calls. Yanuj, good morning. Good morning, SK. I say that Greece, it was a successful, successful of the Greece, because of the people, especially of the people. They had a referendum, which sometimes should have a referendum in our country about many things. But I think Greece make a success because, because the people uh, you know, decided what they want. And actually, I agree with them. If you take, for instance, European, uh, uh, you know, economy, economy, take a German, very low employment there, uh, uh, the four or five percent unemployed only. So, sorry, that's right. But uh, take a Greece, for instance, 25. In many countries like Europe, why is that? Uh, because, because Germans, for instance, like, like in Poland, they bought the factories, they closed them down, uh, retrenched the people, and they forced us, uh, European people, British people, to buy products from Germany. It's the same happened here in our, our country. We have our own industry. Everything is in the hands of, of the people from overseas, China, America, whatever. We don't make any... Uh, though we manufacture, we manufacture the cars, but the, all the income, big income, not coming, not staying here, it goes to to overseas. And also, the education in our country is not not the best because we don't educate our workers to be productive. But also, mm-hmm. for instance, also from the point that, for instance, uh, the, the productivity of of our government institution, none of them is productive. We are losing the money there. We need a big change. And also in the change of the leadership in the young, but even from the ANC, who knows the, the economics of the country, not or necessarily be the, the you know the uh, politics from the past and the revolutionary or all, all this stuff. The, the new generation of ANC people must come and govern us with better knowledge of the economy, and we're going to be much better. Thank you so much, uh, Janusz in Cape Town. Uh, Yard, you also in Cape Town. Good morning. Uh, morning, Sakina. Um, the lesson from Greece that we can take is that it represents the failure of the neoliberal project of the EU. And you must also realize that Greece joined the EU under false pretenses, aided and abetted by Goldman Sachs, which organized a currency swap of a billion dollars to hide the level of Greek debt, allowing them to join the EU. But nevertheless, the current situation is that uh, the voting against austerity is the right way that the, the, the right choice that the Greek, Greek people have made. However, you know, being part of the EU and being able to to recover uh, and uh, for the economy to recover uh, and going back to you know to to a state where the, the Greek economy can recover, they're two mutually exclusive things. You know, we have to look at Iceland had a similar bust when the financial, when the banks went berserk with the loans and the company went bust. 
in Iceland, they uh, prosecuted the bankers for all the fraudulent deals. They went back to the corona. Their economy took a big hit, a devaluation, but they have recovered. And this is what Greece needs to do. They need to go back to the drachma. They may have to accept a massive devaluation and initial hardship, but they can, the economy can recover. And they need to nationalize the banking system and go back to full reserve banking and where they invest public money in infrastructure development to rebuild their economy. Thank you so much, Yaj in Cape Town. Let me just add a few messages to that, Chris. Um, uh, this one here from Kati. Kati says, Russia and China must be salivating at the prospect of playing saviors as the crescendo of Greek economic crisis amplifies. Yaya says, um, Greece could... Uh, could it be that capital, uh, capitalism is failing, uh, given uh, the Greece example? And then Manuel de la Cruz says, I doubt we would find ourselves in a similar situation as Greece. Many people are paying their taxes and there's no problem with tax collection at all. Also, we do not belong to any common monetary union. Uh, Mervyn says, uh, let's not use public servants as excuses uh, to similar problems of Greece. Let's look at the financial bill of elected representatives Representatives, nine legislators uh, in provinces, plus 230 councils and councillors, parliamentarians, plus perks. This is a bloated bill. Do we need all these elected representatives? Uh, Henka Kutsia says, well, South Africa borrows money and only pays salaries. So in the medium to long term, we will have serious financial implications in South Africa and people will lose their pension money. And um, then just a few here from the SMS line as well. Well, um, there's too much corruption in our country. South Africa is the next country to follow Greece, says uh, Sajini. Mike says the Greek problem uh, South Africa can learn is not to squander money. And then um, Ellen says we won't learn anything from Greece because our government doesn't know how to be proactive. They'll wake up when it's too late. Sheikh from Mafikeng says, uh, oh, uh, that report is really worrying. I don't want to follow Greece Please save South Africa. And then this one from Tandy. Um, uh, Tandy says, while the population increases at the present rate, there will be a solution. There will be never be a solution, rather, to poverty. Those are some of the messages coming through. Chris? Yes. Um, sure, a lot to respond there. But I think basically, as uh, somebody said, it's a failure of capitalism. Actually, capitalism was a failure of capitalism. We are trying to continue to keep Okay, we 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 we're having some problems there, Chris. Um, that line deteriorating. Uh, let me read a few more messages in the meantime. Uh, whilst we try and get Chris back there for a parting shot, uh, Josette in Cape Town says, uh, "What is Chris's opinion on our government putting 120 billion into the new BRICS development bank to use it to take out loans for big infrastructure going down the wrong road? Is it uh, more importantly, from what budget line uh, did or will they use the 120 billion rand?" injection. Even more importantly, why is nobody jumping up and down about this? We need some economic literacy everywhere. That's the value of the Greek experience, along with strategic active citizens and shared solidarity. That's just set in Cape Town. Chris? Yeah, as I said, this is, a, this is basically primarily a crisis of the welfare state. Um, and you, you, you cannot have politicians promising more than what the tax base can do. You can't borrow money for 
short-term things for consumption reasons. Um, that's something that we need to 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 to, to get rid of, and and need to understand that. And if we get those simple lessons right, we will actually be okay as a country. Well, uh, that unfortunately is all we have time for this morning. Chris Hart, thank you so much for um, engaging us this morning. Really appreciate it. Uh, Chris Hart, uh, Chief Strategist at Investment Solutions. And thanks to you for your participation. Do go to our website, www.safm.co.za. You'll find podcasts and you'll also find your messages that you've sent throughout the morning and all of that there for you to read.